0: This episode is sponsored by Riverside, your all-in-one podcast and video platform. I've been using Riverside for years, super high-quality podcast recordings ready in minutes. But listen to this. They just launched Magic Clips, which is their AI-powered video clips maker for social media. So I do one podcast episode and get 10 video clips back in minutes. This is game-changing for video content creators. Click the link in the show notes and use the code MSM23 for 15% off. What's the ROI on this? So marketers and marketing-minded founders, we get asked this question and it's a tough one because on the one hand, we wanna have an answer. But on the other hand, we know that often it's not just one number, one answer. And I love this episode with Natalie Marcatulio. She's the head of growth and operations at Nevadic because we cover some Wild West marketing plays that can be hard to measure, but they still deserve to be part of an early stage startup's marketing strategy. We talk about questions like, why did they start the podcast? Why did they stop their podcast? And will they start back up again, which is answered at the end of the episode. We talk about traditional paid ads versus LinkedIn thought leadership ads the strategy, how it's going, the impact that they're seeing. And we talk about interactive demos. That's a space that they're in. Interactive demos are on fire right now, but there is so much competition. So how do you position effectively when there's so much competition? And why is positioning so darn hard? So all of that to say that I think you're going to really love this episode. If you're at an early stage startup, you're in the right place. Every startup begins bootstrapped, pre-seed, or seed, and that's such an exciting time, but also a really challenging time. 50 to 90% of early stage startups don't make it. We should be able to get our startups over the hump and without guessing or throwing spaghetti marketing is an important part of your go-to-market strategy but you need to understand the why behind the what in order to get clarity make the right decisions and get results welcome to season four where i'll be asking why in order to help bring more clarity to the messy world of early stage startup marketing Hey, it's Anna Ferminov. Welcome to the Modern Startup Marketing Podcast. I wanted to have an episode bringing somebody back because she's great and I love working with you. Natalie Marcatulio is the head of growth and operations at Nevatic. And I've been working with the Nevatic team for about one year now as a marketing advisor. I can't believe it's been one year. Time flies it's a great team, super love the space that you're playing in and the problem that you're solving. And so, of course, it's been months and months and months of working together. So welcome to the show, Natalie. Welcome back to the show.
1: I was going to say thanks for having me back. Yeah, time really does fly. I just hit like my two year at Nevada. I keep saying it feels both like I joined you, as everyone says, but it feels like I joined yesterday and like a lifetime. So yes, definitely in a weird concept of like what is time right now.
0: Time doesn't make any sense when you're at a startup. When you're at an early stage startup, right? You probably think the two years is like five, probably maybe a hundred percent. Yeah, you're like no, more like (laughs) ten.
1: I think more, and we're going to touch on this in a bit, but like the market itself has moved so fast in two years, and that's been crazy. Something like I've really never experienced working at a startup before.
0: It's been growing super fast. So let me tell folks about Nevatic. If you haven't heard about Nevatic, founded in 2020. Seed-funded, $5.4 million total. And a quick description, create interactive product demos to let prospects get hands-on with your product without bugging engineering. That's the best because you don't want to bug engineering. You just want to get that done. And customers include Mixpanel, Google Cloud, Demandbase, Dropbox, Segment by Twilio, and more. And the last time I had you on, I mentioned some of these customers, but definitely the list has grown and continues to grow. So that's really exciting to see. The last time I had you on, Natalie, it was episode 139. It's called To Be The Company That Seems To Be Everywhere, You Need To Eliminate The Funnel Mindset. And I really liked this one. We talked about white sneakers. Some episodes, I don't, the person says something and I can't forget it. Even though I've done so many episodes, if it's a good one, I remember parts of it. So that was a really good one. We talk about white sneakers. Of course, we talk about more than that. Like what are some cool creative approaches and experiments that you're running at Nevadic? Balancing creativity with results, allocating your startup marketing budget for experimentation because it was season 3 was a lot about experiments and creativity and all of that. So now, with season 4 of the show, I'm talking about why I'm asking the why questions a lot because I think there, we can go a lot deeper into topics. And that's really interesting for me because for me, like podcasting is a journey. I learn, my listeners learn, and we go on this journey. And so a lot of other folks out there, they focus on the what, the tactics, and people aren't always sure why they're running specific marketing plays. And so What I've learned over time after working with so many early stage startups over three years, I developed this approach. It's called Mass Marketing as a System. It's a process. Plus, I help the startups I work with understand why. Why are we doing it this way? Why are we doing it in these steps? Why is this going to have an impact? Why is this important at this time? Right. Because I think understanding the why behind the what gives you the clarity to make the right decisions and get results. I keep repeating this in every episode because I just, super believe in this and I want to make sure that people hear it. If Whether they listen to one episode or 10 episodes of the season, they'll hear it and it resonates with them, right? So let's cover a juicy why question. Let's talk about podcasting. Why did you, because you guys had a podcast, Natalie, and you started to record episodes. Why did you decide to podcast? And then let's talk about why you decided to stop podcasting. And then of course, I want to know, like, will you start back up again? So let's talk about that first. Yeah,
1: start off. I love the topic. I agree with you. I think especially right now, startups, there's so much you can do. So really think of the why should I do something versus something else is so important or else you're going to be too much. And I always say when you're doing too much, you can never do anything super well. Kind of plays into the podcast. So backing up a little bit, the first year of Nevada, I could talk about how I've been here for about two years. It was really all just about cleaning up the groundwork, making things, making sure the systems were in place, getting the low hanging fruit, all that like basic stuff, getting marketing in place. And that helped to get us some brand recognition through some thought leadership stuff, through working with advisors, all that. And year two came around, I really want to think more about how can we amplify our voice even more and really refine more our brand. And some feedback I got after year one was like, you guys put out a lot of great data and education, but you're a pretty faceless company. And I intentionally wanted to create a brand that was a little more, a little less fun, a little more cool, relaxed. I think like laid back is kind of how I'm trying to think about it because I just think there are so many brands doing the fun thing, which is great, but this was just kind of a differentiation play. And so I was always a little hesitant, like, oh, but that's not our brand as much to be a face. And someone was like, no, you need you need people that people can be fans of, right? In episode one, we talk about being everywhere and people loving the white shoe and seeing it everywhere. What helps with that is, if you see an influencer you love wearing that white shoe or you see like a bunch of models wearing that white shoe, I don't know, but it helps to have the face. So really our goal with the podcast, we were thinking like this is a way to get people to know us better, put a little bit of a face to the company so it's not as just faceless and people can become fans of us and not just Nevadic.
0: That's interesting. Like having faces to a company, having personality, bringing in that personality. But your original intention before you started podcasting was like, our personality doesn't have to be crazy. We talk a lot about data. There's like reports, right? How are these interactive demos actually impacting the funnel? Percentages, like conversion rates, how is it different for this company versus that one? So data is so important. But you're saying the feedback you got was, hey, it's a faceless company. (laughs) And if you are going to wear that white shoe, put it on somebody, put it on somebody so that it's more memorable. That shoe will be more memorable if it's somebody walking around wearing it versus if it's just kind of like you take a picture of it on the floor or on a table. Right. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Exactly. And I think we had some early signals, LinkedIn and me posting more and getting more engagement on my LinkedIn, like that was starting to pick up. We're realizing people like to be fans of us as people, not just Nevada. Um, So this was just a way to play into that more and develop a little more of that asynchronous relationship. Sounds weird to say, but I'm sure you get this all the time, Anna, with your podcast. It's like, how do we get to know more people when we can't literally go out and meet everyone? Well, we can get, let them know us through a podcast.
0: The podcast for me, has been about relationship building. So it's not to get thousands of leads or create awareness. It's like, okay, well, I'm creating awareness on LinkedIn because I post and then other people comment and engage and then their connections see it. And maybe there's people resharing from their own profile. That's great awareness play, social media. But the podcast is more relationship building. Okay, so like what is so great about Anna and she's made a show. Why should I trust this person? What does she talk about on this show? Oh, that's fascinating. And I feel like I can trust her because she's worked with startups for this many years and she's got this mass framework and she talks about it and she talks to other early stage startups and I'm an early stage startup. So it's more about relationship building versus creating more awareness with more as a numbers game with more and more people.
1: I really like the trust part of that. I think that's a lot of it. This day and age, I think we've all had such bad experience sometimes buying software that sometimes you just wanna know there's people behind it, right? I wanna know there's a person who won't screw me over, who I trust, who I know. And so really trying to just develop those relationships a little more. And like you, to the LinkedIn point too, for us, we also find it more valuable maybe to get someone to follow me on LinkedIn if I then post about interactive demos and best practices and educate them versus trying to get their email and having our BDR team just like spam them with emails or even make them listen to ads about Nevada when they're obviously just going to skip it. So we really would just the focus was like, how do we get people to become fans of us?
0: And so then why did you stop? I think we've talked already about this, but just Whoever is listening to this, I want to kind of go through this thought process that you've had, why you decided to stop, and will you start back up again?
1: I'll save that last question for the end. But I guess when people are thinking, oh, you stopped. So it's like, oh, that goal probably didn't work out. I'd say we got some early intent signals that it was working. And the thing about podcasting, which is frustrating, is I can't tell you 100% if this is leading to ROI, if this goal is leading to ROI. But sometimes as a marketer, you just have to pick up on those qualitative signals and trust your gut so for us it was I was on a customer call and someone said oh you're the woman from the videos I'd be at conferences and it wasn't like a huge amount of people but one or two would say oh yeah I've listened to your podcast or I've seen the videos and even Ben so my co-host on the podcast was getting a few of those and we did felt like okay we're getting people to know us a little more a little better we decided to stop because a few different reasons. And I'm going to talk about it honestly from a business sense and be very honest and also talk about it from personal sense. Business sense was, I just think we we felt like the episodes were getting a little monotonous. It didn't feel like they were really truly valuable and unique, which is always my framework for evaluating whether or not you should do something. I think we fell a little bit into too much of a pattern. We kind of, once we had a few out there, we're like, oh, we know how podcasts are done. We're just going to follow that versus thinking what makes our podcast really stand apart. And I was a little lost to figure that out. I knew I couldn't, evaluate that while doing the podcast. Sometimes it's hard to like fix the chip and build it at the same time. So I wanted to take a step back, understand what could we improve. And then honestly, on a personal note, it was summer and Ben had a million weddings. I had you no know, some travel plans. And I just think it's important to be realistic about when you got to give yourself a little bit of a break.
0: I also paused on the podcast. I paused on the podcast because I agree with you. When you fall into a pattern, when you're like creating it and you lose the why, I lost the why. Why am I doing this, right? Or not really the why am I doing this? I knew why I wanted to podcast. Like it's the relationship builder, right? I want to develop trust. I want to have really meaningful episodes that are helpful for the clients that I have, or even if they're not clients, Right. They have a certain problem. I can point them to an episode. It's super easy. It's a great way to have content that's easy to point to. But I lost my why. What's going to get me excited to continue? Because it's been years already. I have more than 160 episodes. It needs to be just as meaningful for you as a host to continue to want to do this thing because it is a beast. Podcasting is not easy. So that's why I went back to the drawing board and I had to rethink like, who am I doing this for? How is this going to be meaningful for me again? What's the journey I want to go on? What's the journey I want to take other people on? Will they find that journey exciting and asking those why questions? And then I came to my, the reason for my making this show is really to focus on early stage startups and focus on the why questions, which is. Funny enough, the reason why I paused. So I totally understand the reason that you paused. And sometimes we fall into a pattern, especially with our marketing. Like, just keep doing it. We're getting something done. If we're getting something done, that sometimes it feels like we're doing the right thing. Just because you're getting something done doesn't mean that it should be done. You could be spending your time doing something else. So, and I won't ask you if you're going to come back with a podcast until. At the end of the episode, because I feel like you don't want to answer that yet. Like, it's a surprise. I don't know. So let's talk about the interactive demo space. We just talked about how hot it is, how fast the Nevada has been growing. But when there's a hot market, it ends up being the case that there are many players in the space. That's because companies are trying to address this gap that's clearly there, which is, I want you to see my product but a demo video is just too general and not engaging enough. And you're also not bought in to do a free trial with me yet. Maybe you can't even offer a free trial depending on what your product is. So what is another way to show your product and let the buyer take it for a spin? Answer, interactive demo. So there are a lot of other players in the space? How are you thinking about, I know we've had this conversation before, and I really wanted to bring you on to talk about it, is how are you thinking about positioning Navadic And why is this like a difficult thing, especially when there are other players in the space?
1: I think it's difficult for two reasons. I think one is that it is just changing so fast. So, so much of positioning, let's be honest, is anchoring yourself against competitors, right? Like you can't be the best at this one thing if there aren't other people to be maybe slightly worse at it, or you can't live in your own little corner if there's no one else to compare to. And the competitors are constantly changing. It's just because it's a very, like it's a hot market. There are constantly new entries who are challenging the way it was done before, thinking of cool and innovative things. I think we can move faster than ever with software development. Even my last startup, I don't, I wasn't seeing development this fast. And I think it's because the rise of no-code tools, the rise of like remote working, all of that. So you think that you have something in the bag, like you have something that's different. You think you've been working on it in stealth mode and then bam, someone releases something or bam, a competitor is entirely different. So it's been challenging. I think it, it does force me as a marketer to think beyond just products and features sometimes. But you got to base your messaging and your story in something. So that's what's difficult. Like, obviously, it shouldn't just be about product and features, but balancing that with like, it needs to have still substantial reason that the product's different. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, people are looking to say, like, no, why is the actual product different? Not just why is your brand different? Why is your brand less funny than this competitor?
0: Yeah. Are you thinking about you mentioned story quickly? Are you thinking about strategic narrative and more into like story and your point of view? And is that something that you've dabbled with? Is that something that the sales team has kind of dabbled with? How are you guys thinking about it at Nevatic?
1: A little bit. I think right now, and I will say because it is such a competitive space, I need to be careful with what I say. (laughs) But I will say, I think right now we've just been focused on like, how do we, for our use case, we know we do best. How do we make sure we are speaking to that audience the best? How do we make sure we're building the features for them? How do we make sure that it is obvious if you're looking for that use case? So that's a little bit of the story, but we are actively thinking about expanding that. So it can be an entirely different narrative, like positioning ourselves something almost entirely different than some other things you're seeing out there. But sorry, that's a little vague. Got to make sure that I don't give away too much before it's live.
0: I know. And you have mentioned some really gross things happening out there, like as more and more companies are competing in a space they are going to look at, well, how are they talking about it? They might copy you, right? And you and I have talked about that, how that has happened before. I think that's just horrible and gross. And you can't win. If that's all you're going to do is just copy, you got to break away at some point and be like, okay, guys, let's have a strategic conversation. This is our company. This is our product. This is our skill set. This is our people. And you can't, do an amazing job copying somebody else that looks, their company looks completely different from you, even though they might be solving a similar pain point, you can't just copy and expect to do better than them. That how are we not at this point yet where we realize this is the case? I think it's interesting. It clearly
1: shows the point we're at in the market. And I think at the beginning, like we all were, and I'm sure at some points we were a little guilty of it too. We weren't sure where the market was, so you just kind of copy what you see working. And I think now we're getting to a mature enough state in this market where we know how to have those strategic conversations about differentiation, how to how to kind of make our mark stand out a little bit. But I do think it, it's so tempting at the early stages just to constantly copy what's working because no one knows what's going on. No one has had experience, no one has their own data, no one has their own customers. So I do think it becomes a little bit of this trap that a lot of startups fall in where you're just like, I'm just gonna copy what I see working, what prospects ask for, but like prospects usually asking for what they see from competitors, especially if you're not the first one in the deal cycle. So I think it also took a lot of leadership alignment to be like, hey, we're not just gonna chase the things that prospects ask for and that other competitors are doing.
0: It's gotta be like a vision thing, right? The startups that I see excel in the marketplace, even though there is competition or there's status quo, you got to change people's minds to go through that change from what they're typically used to using. There needs to be a vision. There needs to be like, where are you going with this company? And if you have strong vision, you're more likely to just, who cares about the competition? Like, you don't look at them. They might be copying you. But they're at a loss. They're behind already because you've got this vision and you already have this plan and you're just going straight for it. When they look at something that's on your website, that's like your vision six months ago and you're already on to something else. That's how quickly startups move, right? So I think it really is stopping this whole copying each other thing and having someone with a vision and not placing so much emphasis. Of course, competition matters. Of course, you should know what everyone's doing in this space because you want to analyze that and see like, how are we going to differentiate ourselves? How are we going to be different? How are we going to look different? How are we going to, how's our content strategy going to be different? What's our wedge going to be? But you don't want to focus all your energy on that. You want to focus on your vision. Where are you going and how are you going to get there? So,
1: I think that's a great point because that's what can be hard for some startup leaders. It's like you're you're potentially turning down immediate revenue and ROI for longer term value. You might lose some customers now. And I think that's another reason why we copy a lot or why you see that happen because startup founders are really scared sometimes to lose any customers. Oh, but this person wants to pay me. But if you have a strict vision, it might be, OK, this person wants to pay you, but they're not a good fit for our vision, our product.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I deal with this in my own business, although I'm not a startup. Sometimes you have to say no. So you could say yes to something that is actually the right fit. So let's talk about, we've talked about this whole idea of positioning and why it's hard and kind of how you're thinking about strategic narrative and doing what you do best for that particular person in that particular use case and going strong there and having that as part of your story. I think that's a really smart way to do it. Let's talk about LinkedIn thought leadership ads. I know that there are many companies that have started exploring this, including you. I'm actually partnering with another company that is promoting my post using thought leadership ads. Let's just start with a quick explanation, just so everyone's on the same page, whoever's listening. Quick explanation of thought leadership ads versus traditional paid ads. And I want to understand if you're doing both of them. So I don't know, I could give a quick explanation. As far as I understand it, maybe you want to fill in <laughs> if I miss anything. But essentially it's taking someone's post that works at your company, because you can only do it if you're tied in some way to a company and promoting it. It's just like paid ads in that way, right? You could target specific people with a specific title at specific accounts, similar to paid ads, but it looks different because you're promoting someone's post that is maybe an employee or maybe someone that's connected in some way, right? Like an advisor and you're promoting their post and it looks very natural and organic in your feed. Would you add anything else?
1: No, I think that is spot on what they are. I think in the past you could sponsor a company post. So I think we're familiar with that. We've seen that. This is basically just the same for, like you said, the employee or advisor.
0: Company post. Yeah, I could see how, like if a company post, you see that it does well, you might want to sponsor it. So it's typically like if you see that there's pretty good engagement on someone's post or a company post, you're going to want to sponsor it so that it goes out to more people. Makes a lot of sense. So are you doing thought leadership ads plus traditional paid ads? Are you doing both? We are doing both. More skewed
1: towards thought leadership, though, at this point. We've definitely seen the engagement rates be much higher, five to 10x higher than the traditional ads.
0: Oh, wow. That's a lot. Five to 10x higher.
1: I feel like the traditional LinkedIn ads, right? You're lucky if you get above a 1% click through rate. And I will say, I think part of this is because the CTAs are different. So in a traditional ad, right? Like you might have a CTA to book a demo, see a product tour, see an interactive demo, or to sign up for a free trial. It's kind of a larger lift versus. The thought leadership ads, I think you're clicking into the specific post, into the company page, probably why the engagement's much higher, but we are seeing about 5 to 10% on average click-through rate and engagement rates for thought leadership posts. And we'll, like I said, we were lucky if we hit 1% for a regular ad.
0: If you're sponsoring somebody's post where it's just maybe something educational, maybe it's talking about interactive demos, there's like a link in one of the comments to check out how customers using Nevatic, for example. What do you want people to do with it? Just kind of see that and then probably come to your website and check out something on the website, right?
1: I think one of the hardest things about thought leadership ads, and one thing we really haven't cracked yet, so if anyone has, let me know, is measuring it because it is very much just an awareness play. So for us, we would see organic ads or organic posts would get us leads people would fill out the how'd you hear about us they'd cite linkedin or just be like wow a week that we had a lot of linkedin posts about us we happen to get a lot of leads like it just again at this stage you can kind of just tell it's like okay this is a little obvious so we we're hoping to dial that up with the thought leadership ads and as you mentioned we've started just by targeting specific target accounts and really the goal is just make them aware of nevatic but it's been really hard to measure besides just that end result of booking a demo, because that's the point we get their attribution. It's really hard to see like, okay, is this slowly moving them down the funnel?
0: So it sounds like it's a little bit difficult to measure if it's working. Although I see what you mean, because you can get more likes on that post. Maybe you'll get somebody to comment on it. But what does that mean? Unless You're actually booking a demo, creating an opportunity you don't know. And that might look similar to like paid ads. And what I mean by that is the sales cycle might not be so fast.
1: We have nothing gated on our website. So the only point we get your contact information to identify source is really at the book a demo phase. So I think there's some like enrichment stuff we're thinking about working on to fill in a little bit of that middle funnel. That's what's also hard. Like we're not even getting middle funnel results. It's just beginning and end.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I think that like thought leadership ads is just people are exploring. I feel like it's just tip of the iceberg still. And we're learning how to do it. And we're learning how to measure. And there's something about it that makes sense. But then how do you measure so that you can prove that it's working? Maybe it just takes longer because you're going to want to see that like some of your pipeline is coming from the money you're putting into the, I mean, it's paid ads still, right? It's just a different way to do it.
1: Yeah, I'd say one signal, kind of I was talking about those signals before, is we will see target accounts sometimes comment on the posts. Their manager tagging their employee. Like Those are good. So we're seeing a lot of those like early signals. I think it's just too early for us to check it bottom funnel.
0: I wanted to also touch on the fact that like these thought leadership ads, are you sponsoring your posts, Natalie? Are you doing it from like the... Inside, Nevatic, the employees that are posting on social, you're doing it with me and I'm an advisor, right? And you've got this circle of folks that you work with, sort of, I guess, influencers, right? Advisors, influencers. But how do you think about the overall strategy of setting up these thought leadership ads and whose posts you're going to promote?
1: Yeah. So we have a little bit of a tiered system right now. So this is only for target accounts. In theory, like more colder accounts, we haven't really reached out to them yet, but it's accounts that we want to get into. So, first prong is our advisor, influencers, people like you, Anna. Because the thought is, your posts tend to be a little more educational, a little higher up. Like, I tend to post very enablement focused interactive demo things, which is great for later stage. But if you've never heard of what an interactive demo is, you might read one of my posts and be like, I don't get this. Versus, and your post might be more, oh, I went to a website and I saw this cool interactive demo. This is why it's useful, educating a little more. So, first prong is generally advisor posts. Then we retarget them with my posts because at that point, hopefully, they've learned a little bit and retargeting based off they've engaged with the first round of ads. So, we target a with my posts. Those tend to be a little more educational, a little bottom funnel. And we also, all of our website visitors, we target with my posts.
0: So, you're thinking of it as like, Let's start high level, a little bit, top of funnel, educational, first prong. And then retargeting happens if they engage with that, then retarget with something that's a little bit more enablement, lower funnel. That's the second prong. Does that sound right?
1: Exactly. And then also our website visitors retargeting with that more enablement because if they've been to the Nevada website, they probably have some familiarity with interactive demos and what they do. I will say for a, as far as some sort of metric to follow, I definitely noticed my follower count. I think in the past year, it's probably like four or five X'd. That's not just LinkedIn ads. There was growth beyond that. That was just a lot of me posting organically and finally actually getting active on LinkedIn. But that's like one metric to show, okay, at least people are liking these posts and are engaging more with me.
0: I wouldn't say that you're sales heavy with your posts. I think you still try to come back to the data Right, and share findings and make it a little bit educational, but you're much more tied into the product and the nuances. And once somebody understands a little bit more about the space. Yeah, I mean, it's great to hear that your follower count four to five X, that means that people are enjoying your content. And I think it's you're probably getting followers that are more aware of like what Nevatic does and want to follow your content because that's really what you talk about is how to use a tool. You talk about the product a lot. You talk about the results that you get from using it. And you talk about tips, sometimes also very much buyer-centric marketing and sales methods. And so you have great content around that too. So if you want to follow Natalie, Natalie's content, she's on LinkedIn. I'll tell you how you could do that. But I wanted to ask you... Natalie what it's an ask me anything moment what burning question might you have for me I want to
1: kind of go back to positioning because I think that is something a lot of startups are focusing on I'm curious if you're seeing kind of what I laid out that more startups are having to move away from feature product-based positioning because development cycles are so much faster is that just an us problem or are other startups seeing this too
0: What makes it hard is because it's very strategic. So you you can't just like do one thing. It has to be multiple bits of information that you take in. Because when you're trying to position yourself against, you're trying to position yourself maybe in a new category, you're trying to position yourself against other players in existing category. And it's very strategic and a lot of inputs into that. And there's a lot of people that have thoughts around it. Where I like to come at it is that's why I do like voice of customer research, your super fans, those people that love you, especially, although it could be your other customers and warm prospects, understanding what are you doing now if you're not using anything to solve this pain point. And for the customers, why did you decide on Nevadic? What made you make that switch? Why Nevadic? Asking why Nevada, you could have gone with others. And I usually ask, who else did you look at? Why didn't you go with them? Because they could have, right? They could have. And if all they're saying is price, that sucks because that doesn't give you too much to go off of when you're trying to position. What you're looking for is something more, something more than, well, I got referred to you. And it was like the first one, right? You're looking for something more. Why? Same thing I ask, I try to figure out with people that go work with me. You could have gone with another fractional head of marketing for your startup. Why did you go with me? And I'm hoping it's more than price. (laughs) I'm hoping it's more than just, well, you got referred, right? Which sometimes does happen. Like I got referred to you and I trust this person. So let's work together. What I'm trying to do is figure out what is that insight of why they went with me. And if I keep hearing that, and it's a common thread, then it's my aha for, okay, I got to use that as part of my positioning. But your question was not that, how do you do it, Anna? Your question was, are you seeing this with other startups? Do you mean like, do you see positioning on features as something that they're doing or moving away from? Or what was the original question?
1: Yeah, this is something people are moving away from more because it's just the entire market is developing too fast.
0: Positioning yourself on features is going to be tough because then you're focusing on the product versus on the problem you're solving, versus on the pain point. So what you said in the beginning of our conversation made a lot of sense. You're like focused on this particular person with this particular use case that has this particular pain and you're the best to solve it that way. That's positioning yourself. You could use that in your positioning. But if it's focused on features I think other companies can build because we were able to now build so quickly, sometimes no code, sometimes with code, we're still able to like use other tools and build really quick. You're just going to have to change that positioning if somebody else builds that thing too, right? And that's something you don't want to do. You want to have a vision for like, why do people go with us? This seems to be the thing we can own. So that ties into strategic narrative. What is it that we own? We need to own something in the space. And it's not that we own making interactive demos quickly because other people are building products that can have you like make the interactive demo quickly. But there's something else that we need to own. And the only way I, I can figure that out is if I go back to customers, super fans, and ask them, why did you pick us versus others? And it has to be something else. And I'm always hoping that I'll hear that. And I always do. So every time I do this process, I always hear something that's beyond a feature of the product, beyond the pricing, beyond I got referred to you, especially your super fans. Your super fans. there's something about them. Find the thing that makes them, that's the reason for why they're super fans of you. Maybe it's Natalie's personality or Ben's. I don't know. (laughs) But there's a reason. Chances are it's not that. There's a reason why they're super fans. And it's because you have just unlocked their world where it was just like such a bad life before. But now you uncovered this, you built this thing and they are just dancing and so happy and so joyful and you changed their life in some way. And that's where you tie story back into what you're building, why you're building, who you're building it for.
1: No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I figured the answer was going to be don't differentiate off features, but just was curious what you're seeing. And I've been doing a little bit of that research as we're working on positioning. And it is magical, like you said, when you you hear those things where you're like, oh, I thought about that or intuitive. And then the, your customer says it in a way that you never could have written copy that good. And you're like, oh, guess I have inspiration for my new landing page.
0: Yes, I always kind of have my ears open. Because you never know where you're going to hear some of that inspiration. Like even my tagline on my LinkedIn profile. Did I make that up? No, Marie Kondo of Startup Marketing. I could have never thought of that. I would have never. Somebody else wrote an email after I told them, here's what I do. Fractional how to marketing for early stage startups. And this is what I help them with. And I clean up messes." But they're like, oh, so you're like the Marie Kondo of Startup Marketing. I, now I get it. And that's why positioning is so cool because you help people in a snap of your fingers understand exactly what you do. And if you take it a step further, that's just like a tagline on LinkedIn. But if you take it a step further, you also help them understand how you're different, which is really important because there's a sea of other tools out there that do the same thing as you. There's a sea of other fractional heads of marketing that do similar stuff as me. What makes me different? And I'm hoping... I'm still working on this too with my positioning and my point of view, but with this podcast and with my LinkedIn presence and with the work that I do, I'm hoping that I'm getting closer to how I differentiate myself because I can tell you there are not a lot of fractional heads of marketing that have a podcast that's been out for so long and thinking about it strategically as part of their process. And there are not a lot of, fractional heads of marketing that are putting together the systematic approach and sharing it on their podcast and sharing the insights and learnings. These are critical differences. And then you want to hear that back. If you're trying to differentiate in a certain way, you eventually want to talk to your customers and hear that back. Wow. You actually were great to work with working with you. I love this tool that you build because, and then they mention, and that's What you're trying to do is differentiate in that way. And that's gold. You've hit gold.
1: I think that makes a ton of sense. That's like that we're in this process right now. So this all really resonates of trying to find that gold and refining nuggets. But you said it has to be strategic. It also takes time. You have to be okay with it taking time, your leadership team being okay with taking time because you also, yes, you want to experiment and try new things, but your website can't be entirely different every two months.
0: Totally. And I think the reason why I focus on these customer conversations is because that's where you can feel pretty good. You're not just assuming, you're hearing it from people. So you can feel pretty good if you're hearing it from people. And I like to pull out quotes, right? As I learn about certain sentences they say or words that they use, I pull out those quotes, I look at them, I look at the similarities across customers. And that's proof, That makes me feel good. That gives me confidence that we should use this because I'm hearing it. We're not just assuming. We're not just like hoping that that's what people say about us. We're hearing those words. And this is where we are at this point in time with our company. Like you're at a particular point in time with Novatic and this is what you've built for them. And this is, these are your customers and this is how they perceive you right now. Maybe two years from now, it'll sound and look different but you want to use what you've built today and how they're talking about you today. So that's another question that I get to, like, should we be talking about ourselves, the vision that we have for two years from now? No, you should talk about yourself the way that you've built it for today. And that's why your website won't have to change every few months because, I mean, I know that Nevada and the space is moving pretty quickly, but hopefully you find this powerful positioning and messaging that can stick around for longer than a few months, which is why you want to move away from the feature stuff.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's perfectly put. Like I get that good positioning should last you at least at least six months, if not like a year. So that's what we're going towards. Stay tuned. hope maybe uh, by season five, I'll be able to talk about what we did and hopefully how much of a success it was.
0: Season five for me. But now, Natalie, I just remembered you didn't answer my question. Will we get your podcast back or will we not?
1: We will. I don't know why I teased it like I wasn't, but it is coming back actually in the next few weeks. I don't know when this is dropping, but around this time frame. And we have switched up a little bit. just might be interesting for anyone hosting a podcast. The learning for us was like, we ended up bringing on a lot of guests, which was awesome. We had amazing guests and great conversations. But some of the feedback we got was like, I actually really like your point of view and you talk less when there's a guest, which was like, oh yeah, I tend to be the moderator and shut up a little bit or the guests might have said something similar in other podcasts, which is great. I know I do the same thing, but people will give me feedback of like, I like this because I like to really see what it's like to have a head of sales and a head of marketing have a discussion, like as if I'm watching your and Ben's conversation. So we are trying to make it even more like peeling back the curtains. Like you are literally sitting in on a meeting with Ben and I, probably shorter, a little more conversational just between the two of us. And we're just also going to kind of keep thinking of like fun things to keep it different, not just, I think sometimes with guests too, we got into too much of the same rhythm, same questions. So just kind of doing whatever we think is fun and
0: trying new things. I love that so much. I think you guys both have great personalities. You have so much knowledge you could bring to the table. And this makes a lot of sense. It's one thing I've also tried to work into my show, which is more solo episodes because I really struggled with figuring out how do I just talk about? It's hard to, without that back and forth with a guest, just me. Okay, I have some thoughts. I have some ideas. What am I going to talk about? No one's asking me a question. What should I talk about? So the way that I've worked it in to into season four is I've been pretty much doing, well, I guess I just started with season four. But what my plan is, is every other episode is just a solo And usually just the solo of me talking for like 15, 20 minutes on a topic that I want to talk about. And it ties back to the mass framework, systematic process that I built marketing as a system, because I have so much to say about it. Like I built this systematic process. I want to let people know, what does it look like? Why is it important? Why is it set up in such a way? Right. And I think that the listeners at early stage companies will get a lot of value from it. So Just wanted to point out that I've also been working that in less guests, more me solo. But I also think that you guys have something unique where you have your head of sales and head of marketing and the conversations that can bubble up from there. Like we're sitting in on a meeting. That's unique too.
1: Maybe more like you're sitting on us discussing a meeting at the bar after. Because if you haven't, if you don't know what it is, the whole theme is that we're drinking, we're talking over a drink. So it's almost like that post-meeting recap will you really give what you thought about it? It's not supposed to be the polish. Like, these are my thoughts, um, which hopefully is fun because it really gives, I realize things about my marketing, about our sales that like I haven't thought of until we're having that conversation.
0: I love it. Do you cover things that you don't normally cover in meetings in this podcast? Do you think that actually naturally comes about?
1: Sometimes this happened for our first episode of the second season. It was actually kind of about positioning. We were having, an, I wouldn't say like an argument, but maybe a, we were on opposite sides of a discussion about positioning. And in the middle of the conversation, I was like, pause, this needs to be our first episode because it was just a really interesting angle. So sometimes there's quite literally, we were talking about something and I'm like, well, let's talk about this on the show. And sometimes it's from outside inspiration of just like, oh, a lot of marketers are talking about this right now or sales people, like we should cover this.
0: Yeah, it's interesting also because positioning is not just like a marketer thing. It's an all-company thing. It should be first, what happens is the founders, co-founders, right? They're in charge of it. They're in charge of positioning, messaging, because they're building the company and they don't have really like the team yet until later. So they're getting a lot of friendlies first, your first customers. They have to figure out who this product would be good for how to position it, how to message it, have those sales calls. They're doing all that first. Then when they bring on the team, that's when you're going to iterate on the positioning messaging. Maybe then your customers look a little bit differently. It's not all friendly. You start to get people that are cold, that are like, wow, this is great. This company solves my problem. And so then your positioning messaging needs to be tweaked over time. But in the beginning, that positioning is the founders. They've worked on it and then the team comes in and it's like, what do you think? And it's an all-company thing. So I think that's fascinating too, actually, the fact that positioning is not supposed to just stay in the marketing department.
1: I also think a lot of what I learned on this call is a lot of salespeople have maybe a little bit of more negative connotations around positioning and branding because they've maybe been burned by it not going well or feeling like marketing taking way too much time redesigning the colors of a landing page versus getting leads. Don't necessarily agree with, but It was a very interesting conversation from the perspective of sales that I hadn't really thought of before.
0: How many drinks did Ben have before he said that?
1: (laughs) Just one. We only always have one. Does he know who he's dealing with? Only one, because (laughs) if it was two, by the end, the podcast wouldn't get interesting anymore. Just BS cracking
0: jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. I think you should still release an episode like that and be like, okay, just caveat here. It's not the usual episode, but that's because we had two drinks instead of one. That's amazing. Well, this was great, Natalie. I had so much fun. I actually talked quite a bit because you had a great question on a topic that I love to think about, to work on, and that is positioning, and I didn't expect that. And I also asked you about positioning at the very beginning of the episode. So clearly... We our minds are somehow aligned on this whole positioning thing. And I think it's a really important topic. So thank you for joining me here again. If anybody wants to find Natalie, you could do so. Go to LinkedIn, Natalie Marcatulio. And if you want to check out Nevadic, I think you should go to Nevadic.com. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this weekly episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Firminov. Visit my website to learn more about how I help early stage startups. Go to firminovmarketing.com. And don't forget to leave a review if you're loving the show.